We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna <laughs> Rudolph with a pocket collapsing, able to escape. Throws it downfield, complete to Aitman. He breaks a tackle and stays in bounds. Maybe the play of the day in college football. Marcel Aitman with a touchdown. It was a play action, deep over. The throw is outstanding. The Alabama corner can't get there. Michael Gallup finishes the play. Now that sets up the touchdown. Drop back, and this is all a touch pass again. So we saw the heavy power, the steam on the last throw. Now we see the touch. So in the second half, we're seeing Josh Allen become the guy we all thought he was. Rosen fakes the spike in the end zone. Touchdown! Everybody, there's another edition of the Rock Pell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is Chris Krueger, and that was Dave Pash of ESPN, Mike Mayock of NFL Network, and Gus Johnson of Fox Sports. First and foremost, before we get into any of the football talk that has to happen today. Yeah, we're going to talk about the weekend. Because I did, I did one of the most Buffalo things ever this weekend, and it's never happened to me. Never happened to me. First off, we should start off that we went to Dan Soder at Helium. Did <laughs> and you, I said roll tight. Did you think that... I told you for months that I did not want to go with you <laughs> because you would you would not be, contain yourself to not heckle and you heckled. I didn't heckle. You heckled I said four. That. You heckled four times. Dan Soder never spoke to you. You yet you yelled "Roll Tide" at the stage, and then he that's goes, heckling. And then that's he heckling. Says, and then he turned on me as as he should have. Now, Chris, here's what I'll say to you. Your your love with comedy, I understand it. It's a performing art, but you got to understand that it's organic. It's it's what it's supposed to be. You're, you've got a crowd who's not responding to anybody. It's half dead. Yeah, I'll give you the but, the crowd was was not into it. But but the guys survived. Everybody moved on, and in fact, Dan Soder had a field day with my comment. Did so? Did we, you do you think that you ruined it? 
for me a little bit. A little bit. A I lot of I a did. bit. I think a I lot did. of a bit. Because you yelled out, you yelled out four times. A fucking maniac. Exactly. But getting to my most well, Buffalo thing that I've that I've I've never done this before. So after we got back, I went and I was like, I was bored. I was like, and I looked at my phone. Uber's blown up. There's a lot of uh, hot spots, price surges. So you know what? I'm going to go Uber. You went Ubering after the show. It, it, after the show, I was out till 4 a.m. Ubering. And I did the most Buffalo thing ever. I've never done this before. I'm not kidding. I hit like four potholes. I like, I, I, I own these four potholes. So Sunday, I went and, got, went and I had to get gas. Because I Ubered until I was low on gas, and I went home. And I went to the gas station Sunday before I went to Wegmans. And I noticed that my, my rear passenger was looked soft, so I, I put air in it. And then I went to Wegmans, came home, got drunk, and watched the Masters, which I hope everybody did that on Sunday. And then Monday morning, I get up to go to work, and I'm about to like back out and then go on my way to work. And I was like, I remember my tire was soft yesterday. So I put it in park. Got out, looked at my rear passenger. I was, oh, it's fine. And then I drive down the street to the stop sign. <laughs> my front passenger, my front passenger tire, flat. Dead flat. <laughs> I destroyed the rim on a pothole. It's never happened to me before. You are officially a resident of Buffalo, Sam. Yeah. So I got, I, Monday, I, Monday at work, I got, it, I got it fixed while I was at work. There was a garage uh, in, down in uh, Holland, which... This garage, A, is creepy as shit. I swear to God, if, if Craigslist was an actual place, that's what it looked like inside and felt. And they, they, fixed, they fixed my rim. They fixed my rim. 45 bucks. My tire was fine. It was, I just bent the shit out of my rim on a pothole so bad that it deflated my tire. Chris, raise your drink. Welcome to Buffalo. So... Before we really get into the Bills news, I have to say this. Congratulations to our listener and friend from across the pond, Alex Wormall. Oh, did you finally give him money? No. I also owe you $50 from our fantasy football league because he is champion. But not for that, but for completing the Manchester Marathon. Chris and I will literally never know what an honor like that feels like. Now... For those of you who don't know Alex, he's been trying to do this for a few years now, even with a wonky knee, and the numbers were respectable. He went, it's literally miles and miles and miles. He did it in five hours and 28 minutes. He had zero groinular chafing, but two absolutely destroyed nipples. I mean, I watched the episode of The Office where that dude tore his nipples and they bled through the jersey, and I didn't think that really happened until I saw Alex. Alex, I'm sorry for your nips. Congrats to your stick to and dedication, though. I literally will never find myself in that type of situation, but if I did, I'd like to think that I would use you as an inspiration. Oh, my God. Grueling. Congratulations, sir. Chris, give him a round of applause. Come on. You would have had a faster time if you did it in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, my God. He's going to kick your ass in fantasy football again this year for that. Great. Can't wait. And that, folks, leads us to this week's Bill's News Update. There may be bigger or more pressing news, but nothing makes me laugh harder than the fact that the color rush is dead. Honey, I love you. I think you're a terrific girl. 
but you have clothes like a fucking dickhead. <laughs> that is what I've been saying to the Bills for the last like three or four years, two or three years since they came out with this color rush idea. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Let's make a fancy jersey that looks like shit paraded on a national te- on national television. I don't get any better than the Jets Bills from Thursday oh, night. Oh, the one where, where the colorblind colorblind people, people were yeah. just lost. What a bunch of idiots! I'm sorry, does anybody with half a brain cell work in the NFL offices who oversee these decisions? I am, I for one, and I know Del Reed has echoed this sentiment. The color rush jerseys were hideous. Marcel Darius looked like the Kool-Aid man. Okay, he doesn't look like an athlete. He looks like he should be busting through Chris's wall right now, asking us if we want, oh yeah, you want a beverage? You guys want to quench your thirst? It's it's ridiculous. The jerseys were terrible. It was a bad idea. You ended up with mustard-colored jerseys. You ended up with, I don't know, just a lot of horse shit that no one wants to deal with. So thank God that it's gone. Now that brings us to the biggest point of the day. Richie retires. Allegedly. And, and does that change the Bills' draft plans? First and foremost, Chris. My day started off pretty much like any other, any other Tuesday. Well, we wouldn't have found out about this unless we read other people's Twitters because we're blocked by <laughs> We incognito. are blocked by Richie Incognito. At the end of the day, I don't know, it, it went the way most days do when it's time to record. Massive things are happening the day that we're supposed to do our podcast, which forces me to get my lazy ass up and do a little more show prep. It started this morning with a tweet from Peter King of Sports Illustrated, announcing that Incognito had informed the team of his extreme displeasure over his contract adjustment and that he was considering retirement. I don't know how that's the Bill's fault. Then Vic Carucci came in sometime later with confirmation to this, but stated that per Richie, the stress of prepping for another season, as well as issues with his kidneys and liver, were part of his consideration, and that he'd have to make a decision on whether or not he wanted to play football anymore. And then a short time later, he came back, Vic did, to confirm that he did in fact contact Bean, the Pagoulas, and the Players Association to inform them that he's made his decision he's not playing football anymore. And according to Pro Football Talk, he, quote-unquote, absolutely will not reconsider. So, Chris, I, I mean... I told I, you. Chris, how is that, I, the, how is that thought, the Bill's fault? I thought drinking questionable milk for breakfast... Oh, yeah, that's right. You did do that, and you... like, uh, Dude, I, I've... Uh, <laughs> I, there's been a demolition derby going on inside of my body this morning because I drank questionable milk for breakfast. And I thought that was going to be the worst part of my morning. Okay? Now, there's a lot of takes on the situation. Some have said it's sour grapes over the pay cut he received. Others think that it's that he has health, legitimate health issues and that this is what's best for him. I firmly believe that the truth exists somewhere in between. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, Chris, here's what I think. I think that Richie Incognito has played offensive guard in this league for a long time. Yeah, he's no spring chicken. He's in his 30s. I think he's 34. 
he was probably approached and told that he had health issues. And I'm sure he feels it. So to have the stress of the season weighing on him, to have the uncertainty regarding his health, he probably personally, and this is what I would, I'm just putting myself in his shoes. I would place a price on what it would take for me to get back into football. This is, here's the analogy I'll give you. Chris, if you approached me and said, hey, hey, Drew, I'll give you $10,000 to walk across these hot coals. 10 yards of hot coals. And I'd say, okay, well, it's $1,000 per yard, and that's a lot of money, and I could do things with that money. So I would probably do it. Then again, if you were to then turn around and say to me, hey, Drew, that same 10 yards of hot coals, now we're only willing to pay you $1,000. That is going to drastically change the way I look at how I go about doing things. Because I know it's going to result in my own injury. I know that bad things are going to happen to me when I go out there. And yet at the same time, you're not willing to... I think that in Richie's head, he set a bar as far as, hey, this is what it's going to take for me to sign up for another year of this the toll that football takes on you. And when the Bills asked him to take less, it shifted that. There's a reason he fired his agents. They talked him into accepting that. They talked him into signing that deal. Because nothing happens without the player's own signature. But his agents probably looked at the free agent market and said, look, no guards outside of the top are getting paid. And every team that was going to spend already spent. So you're better off taking the pay cut than anything else. At the same time, he probably looks at it in terms of, well, they the team screwed me by putting this position. I, I wouldn't argue with that if that's the way he felt. I'd feel inclined to feel the same way. But at the same time, the team was looking out for no, its own interest. They had things on the free agent front that they had to keep an eye on. They came to him. They asked him to take a pay cut. He didn't have to take it. But he did. Was the agency convinced him of it. And that's my point. So when he fired them, that may be on Twitter. That may be seller's remorse over the fact that you took less than what you think you're worth because someone convinced you it was a good idea. But that's also partially on you for allowing yourself to be convinced of that. So I think ultimately he falls in this category where the team lowered his value and his value came to a point where he didn't think it was worth playing anymore. Whether that gets fixed or not, I can't say. He says absolutely not. The team still holds his rights, and now we're just kind of in limbo. So I guess we move on to where do we go from here? Now what? It kind of screws you a little if he's legitimately going to retire now because free agency's washed up, and now do you... I I wouldn't think that they would reconsider spending a bunch of draft capital to trade up for a quarterback just so they could, you know, hang tough and... Because we need another pick so we can take a guard because he retired. And I mean, we've got ultimately what we're left with is three options. This is how I see it. We've got three choices. And they're pretty simple. A, we move forward with the current roster and just add some camp bodies post-draft. Undrafted, you know, late round draft picks, undrafted free agent style. If Bean were feeling shrewd, cheap, or something between the two. He could simply decide to just move forward with the players that we have on the roster. Now, looking at it right now, we have 
four guards. Groy, Incognito, Miller, and then we've got Dukas, who kind of moonlighted at right tackle. He's done a lot of things for us across the across the offensive line. So when I look at this, I say to myself, we really don't have anything promising on the roster behind Incognito. There's nothing there that screams to me, I could be your day one starter, and you can do so with confidence. They could do that because all of these salaries are cheap. It would keep our ca- it would keep us in a good place as far as ca- cap space goes. I just feel like that's the I don't know, Chris. It's a, that that just scares the hell out of me. I mean, is there anybody on the Bills roster right now who excites you as a guard prospect? Uh, incognito. That's it. <laughs> so then, B, we could seek a replacement in free agency. Now. You could go out there into the market and try to find a stopgap. Maybe not a day one starter, but a guy who, or maybe a day one starter, but a guy who's not starter, you know, the average starter talent, but he will get you through this season. In theory, the money that we're getting back towards our cap total could be put towards achieving that goal, giving us at least an experienced player to put in that position. Do you have this right here on our rundown sheet? Luke Jokel's still available? Absolutely. In execution, I'm not so sure that I would advise that you go this road, but I did look over the list of who's available as of today, and I've got to say it's not leaving me overflowing with confidence. The top options I can see are, they, they basically lay out like this. First and foremost, Luke Jokel. Former second overall pick in the 2013 draft never panned out as the dynamic left tackle that everyone thought he was going to be. I mean, the guy won the Outland Trophy as the best offensive lineman in the country. Yet in 2014, he was graded as a bottom three tackle and then summarily got kicked inside to play guard. Suffered a knee injury in his last season with the Jaguars and then went on to move to Seattle where he had a down season. I would say this. He represents one hell of a reac- like a reclamation project. Now, that's really trying to turn one man's trash into another man's treasure. But he's 26 years old. He's got youth, and he's got athleticism. And those are his possible upsides on what should be a cheap free agent deal if he's the guy you want to bring in. Another guy that I liked a, a year after him, David Yankee. Okay. A young player with upside coming out of college. Yankee was a two-time All-American coming out of Stanford at the guard position in 2014. I know that I was a huge fan of him his because I talked about it on this podcast. Instead, he got drafted in the fifth round by Minnesota, then bounced to Carolina, got a back injury, and ended up on IR. He's still available. Again, young player, If his back injury is healed, he could be a contender on a cheap contract with athleticism, youth, and upside. Aside from that, if the team were to try to go with a more experienced option, I know that a lot of people, Kevin Massari included, are throwing in the fact that Jari Evans might be a good fit because he previously visited with the Bills in 2016. Well, let me tell you this. This is a very different front office. And this is a different day and age. 
I would instead, I don't know, I think the best veteran over 30 available at the position is Ellen Barber. Don't get me wrong. His numbers last season were awful. According to Pro Football Focus, he didn't rank in the top 61 of guards. And he came in with a total grade of 44.3. I mean, the guy's pass blocking rating was 40.5. But the three years prior to his trade from Philadelphia to Denver, he was well into the 80s in overall grading. So I guess the question is, was that a bad football team or was that just a bad player being finally exposed for what he was? Barber is younger than Evans, and he has a recent track record of success that didn't follow him to Denver. But he could likely still be had for a fair price considering he's still on the free agent market today. And if coached properly and put in the right scheme, very well could rebound to what he used to be, which is a very good interior lineman. If there's anybody out there that I'd say out of the three, I'd vote for Barber. Just because his experience and everything else I, and the draft component I don't think lines up with what we're trying to do. And that brings me to C, draft a replacement. Speaking with Russ Brown last week, we touched on some offensive linemen in the mid-rounds that have the upside of a starter in the NFL. Most draft Knicks seem to agree that while they have varying scores and grades put on all these different interior linemen, there are anywhere from 7 to 10 guards that could go in the first four rounds that have the upside to become a starter in the NFL. Not to mention all the center prospects that could be shifted to those positions if, if duty calls. So it's not to say that you couldn't also draft a player who could come in and provide the similar production, which would take some coaching and some time. I'm not trying to say that a rookie could come in and give what Incognito did. But I think that it wouldn't leave us with such a drastic drop-off in talent. But for a team with so many holes, adding a new one to try and fill the list certainly doesn't help. I mean, Chris, our draft, our draft catalog of what we need, how long is it? As far as I'm concerned, one quarterback. <laughs> that's the, but that's my point. If you're the guy who's going to try to trade up for a quarterback. Yeah, because a quarterback will mask other deficiencies on your team. Okay. No other position does that. And if you have a good quarterback, you're pretty much guaranteed 10 wins. I don't know that you're guaranteed 10 wins. There's some good quarterbacks in the NFL who don't get that. Brady don't get 10 wins? Br- you're talking Hall of Fame. You're talking Breeze, Hall of Fame. Rogers. Hall of Fame. Yeah. Where do you okay, find those what's guys? Good? What's in good? In the draft. What's good? What's good? Give, give me a good quarterback. Not a Hall of Fame quarterback, but a good quarterback. Phillip Rivers. Who masks the deficiencies of his offensive line? I feel like Phillip Rivers, more than anything, has been a, has been a victim of his offensive line. Shorter, but name another position that masks deficiencies. I'll wait. This is my point. Exactly, that so I'm right. Does this quarterback does this alter your draft plans as a franchise? Not for me. I want in, a goddamn quarterback. In my opinion, it needs to give you, if it doesn't change them, at least needs to give you some pause. Because you're a team that has a lot of holes. When I'm looking over your roster, I see that you have three defensive tackles under contract who have ever taken an NFL snap. 
You need at least a four-man rotation there. So I don't know what you're doing at that point. I really don't. Because if you don't plan on drafting one highly, then you're not replacing. Or unless you have a flyer on a deep sleeper that you trust, you are leaving that position in dire straits. You also have a linebacker core that doesn't have a middle linebacker. You've also, you're, you're also missing help at the wide receiver position, the tight end position, the offensive line, adding to these, the center, the guard. You've got a second-year left tackle. There are so many holes on this roster. The secondary is the only thing that works. That's it. It's one of the few positions that doesn't need to be addressed. So does the, this new hole, This new hole, just add one more thing that might tip the scales away from you trading up to draft a quarterback and instead fleshing out your roster. Not at all. And that's a smart, I'll say this, Chris, that's a smart pick. Because I'll say that as a GM, if you're going to let a guard in the NFL, one of the more devalued positions in the NFL, dictate your draft strategy then you're really, I don't know, you're, you're, you're misconstruing value. If your move, Brandon Bean, is to go get a quarterback, then go get a quarterback. Because D- this isn't it. Th- this, this one departure doesn't dictate your entire draft board. Stick to your guns. Take the guy, that you, pick a hill to die on and stay there. Don't shift the target because of the loss of one player. That's all I'm saying. Having said that, apparently the Bills are planning on not having a middle linebacker in 2018. I'll say this. Further complicating our draft decisions is the fact that right now the Bills have missed the bus in terms of signing any of the stopgap options that were out there at the middle linebacker position in free agency. That you thought of? That the teams visited with. The fact that the team brought in all of these guys and didn't sign a single one of them, only to see them sign with conference rivals. I. It, yeah, it sounds like we wouldn't have this problem if we went uh, Reuben Foster last year. Don't even get me started about that. God, Chris, I'm trying not to drink that heavily tonight. I'm really trying. It's a Tuesday in April. Your birthday's around the corner. <laughs> get drunk. <laughs> You're a terrible influence. The fact is, guys, there's no more stopgap starting talent available on the free agent market. This team has two choices at this point. You either draft a successor to Preston Brown, or you go into next season with unproven players out there that don't have a very high ceiling that are going to make up your linebacking core. Yes, you've marginally improved your defensive tackle position. You've brought in a lot of new bodies at the defensive end spots. Do you really trust middle linebacker to Tanner Vallejo? Because if not, then you have to do something. And you need draft capital in order to do that. I mean, that's that's where we've landed. You know what? I mean, just because it happened to us at, an, at another position a while ago, what about a lawyer Malloy situation? Is there going to be a linebacker that gets cut in camp? There could be. And maybe there's an opportunity there. But that hasn't presented itself. That's and I'm right, because it's not bank, August. And I'm sorry, but if I'm a GM, I'm not going to bank my entire season on the just, I don't know, the, the fact that that happens. 
I mean, guys, don't kid. You know, let's not kid ourselves. We are in the weeds here when it comes to the linebacker position. And if the team really does trade up all of its high draft capital to get a quarterback, we are going to be in a lot of trouble when it comes to the battle in the trenches and when it comes to who's going to backstop the defensive line. It's going to be ugly. Okay? That's, that, that, there's no other way it cuts than that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the reason that we're here tonight, we are, you know, we've, we've, the last couple of weeks, we've gone over every position group possible for the upcoming draft. That's our we, biggest need right here. And that's it. This is the one. This is the, this is the granddaddy of them all. The thing that we've been kicking around literally ever since training camp last year when we found out the magnitude of this draft class, the size of the you know, the, the size of the talent pool that was going to be available. There's so much there. So it makes sense to save the best and the biggest for last, and possibly the most important. Because when you select the right when you select the right quarterback. You can change the trajectory of your franchise. And when you select the wrong quarterback, as we've seen for literally two decades, quite literally two decades, you find out real quick that you can set yourself back and that all of the positive things that you're trying to accomplish may end up being for nothing. So with that, we are going to get into our evaluation of the quarterbacks. It's a two-part series. And tonight we started off with a very special guest. Travis Wingfield. Soccer-style kicker. Graduated from Collier High, June 1976. Stetson University Honors graduate, class of 1980. Holds two NCAA Division I records, one for most points in a season, one for distance. Former nickname The Mule, the first and only pro athlete ever to come out of Collier County and one hell of a model of merit. Locked on Dolphins podcast. But this is Miami, pal. This is going to be your best appearance on our show because at no point will we bring up the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, Lucky how are me. you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. I mean, we've things have been better. I mean, former Miami Dolphin, former Buffalo Bill, uh, Richie Incognito has decided to... I, I don't know what the hell happened over the course of the last two weeks, but apparently he thinks that social media is the way to just communicate with the world at large now. So we, great, well, maybe, we've got that going for us. Maybe now he can uh, take some of his offensive line strip club meetings up to somewhere else besides Miami and, <laughs> you know, molest women at charity events and all the good things that Regine Cognito does. Maybe he can kind of take that somewhere else besides the NFL hey, now. listen, that man was instrumental in helping us end the drought, and I will not have you sass him like that. <laughs> hey, well, it doesn't help that uh, he blocked us on Twitter. So, <laughs> I was going to say, I so can we find don't... out from everybody else because he's blocked us on Twitter. Out of all the people to block us on Twitter, it might be the most confusing and yet also, I don't know, it's kind of like a pat on the back. You know what I mean? Like, uh, apparently one of my post-game rants must have struck a nerve because... And you know, and the only time people react to things like that are when there's a nugget of truth somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So, having said that, we are here today to talk about the quarterback position. And you have done a lot of quarterback scouting over the years. You know, you're pretty well acclimated to it. I know that before you, you, you previously were working on putting out a website. Kind of around scouting itself, Correct. Yeah, yeah, I had to. I kind of had to bail on that because of all the dolphin stuff I got into. But yeah, that was the 2016 season. I was pretty into it. So, having said that, I know you've been doing a lot of work on the quarterback class. I have to preface this conversation by saying there really aren't, Chris. I, I for everything good I can say about every one of these candidates, I can come up with a counterpoint as to why I don't like them. So the whole idea is maybe by talking to some people who are smarter than I am, because I have refused to. 
to look at quarterbacks from college and even try to come up with my own opinion ever since the Ryan Mallett incident of 2011. I mean, for those of you who may not know, 2011, I I would tell anybody who would listen, if you had ears, you were going to hear me explain that I thought Ryan Mallett was going to be a franchise-changing quarterback. Because I watch a lot of SEC football, and he looked damn good. He was big, had a big arm. He did, kind of like one of the guys we're going to talk about tonight, really seemed like he had potential. And when the Patriots drafted him, I, I remember just wanting to lay down on the floor and not move again because I figured that's it. They, <laughs> Tom Brady's heir has been drafted, and it, they're going to continue their dominance of the AFC for another 10 years. Well, it turns out that happened anyway, but it wasn't because of Ryan Mallett. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say they drafted about three in that time since then, too. Three of the uh, era parents, so to speak. Ugh. So ever since that debacle, I've get, and I also got behind Landry Jones. I said he was going to be a franchise quarterback, too. But the Ryan Mallett thing, I really got on that bandwagon. So given that, I no longer trust myself we to got, scout you got, you got four. You got four major sports, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey. Of any of those sports, it is the hardest to hit on first-rounders in football, let alone the quarterbacks. Which I think it's it's well under fifty percent that you that you hit on a quarterback. That's all I want this offseason is for Buffalo, please hit on a quarterback. There's apparently six potential first round candidates that we could hit on. I just want to hit on somebody since Jim Kelly for for the love of God. Well the the way Drew prefaced it I think is really interesting and and accurate too, because it is such a unique class in the sense that you have all these guys that have been elevated to such a high you know, high regard. Yet, like Drew said, there are severe weaknesses to every single one of their games. Now, I don't. I think Baker Mayfield's probably the safest. Spoiler alert there. But <laughs> I just, it's just so, it's so weird that we're going to see four quarterbacks go in the top ten, in my opinion, for the first time in league history, at least going back to the 1960s when I stopped going through my re- through my research. And do you feel 100% secure that any of these guys is the, you know, the Andrew Luck, the John Elway, the guys that are those cannot miss prospects? I mean, I don't. I mean, we talked about it earlier tonight when we were discussing, you know, Wonderlick scores. What do you know? You've got Tony Romo, who got a 37 on the Wonderlick and still did, did, you know, out of Hofstra. Nobody looked at him as a, as a franchise quarterback. And then he went on to play very well for the Cowboys. Yeah, he very was undrafted. Well. <clears throat> so in that, I guess in that context, it's hard to predict where you You can scout and scout and scout all you want, but it's hard to predict where your talent is going to come from. I think it takes... It takes the the player being good and also the player finding the right situation, the right coach, the right offensive coordinator, the li- the right team to put an offensive line in front of him. I, I mean, I touched on it a little bit earlier tonight when we were talking about Richie Incognito leaving. You look at what Jared Goff was as the number one pick in the draft under Jeff Fisher. He was a t- he wasn't anything. He looked like a complete bust as a quarterback. A year later, the team invested heavily in the offensive line in front of him, and you got an offensive minded head coach. He came out last year and looked the part of a number one overall draft pick. So it's not just that the player needs talent, but he also has to find the right situation. And I guess that's what I'm looking for here tonight is why should I be excited about any of these guys? So we're going to kick this off with Mason Rudolph, senior quarterback out of Oklahoma State. Now I've got a list of pros and cons. I'm going to read it off. To me, for pros, I'm looking at adequate size for the quarterback position. He's got a strong arm. He's definitely durable. He has an above-average deep ball, and his sideline throws, you know, on outs and things like that, he definitely has the the arm strength to pull those off. And he makes pretty good pre-snap reads. 
Coming from a one-read offense or two-read offense, he's pretty good at diagnosing where he's going to go with the ball pre-snap. On the opposite side of the fence, though, I'm looking at a player who routinely struggled with touch. You know, just in the games I watched, because I watched a lot of his games, just because they were the they were, they were on. You know, Sundays, the, you know, you're spacing out the SEC games, and it it scares me that he's coming from an air raid system like what Oklahoma State employs where most of your snaps come from out of the shotgun. You run almost nothing under center, not even the pistol, just from just a shotgun formation. Then just footwork issues that can sometimes affect his power and accuracy. I mean, what are your what are your takeaways on the player's strengths and weaknesses? Well, you kind of uh, bookended it there nicely talking about the footwork and everything because for my money, I don't I don't really see that strong of an arm because he he can rip it out there at times, but his he's so inconsistent with his base and kind of generating power through his hips and torque through his lower half. He's more of a shot putter, so to speak, where he kind of just uses all arm to get the ball out there, and that's going to cause some balls to float. That's going to cause some balls to hang up there and obviously give defensive backs in the NFL who can move you know way quicker than college defensive backs can much more opportunity to make plays in the football. So I don't love his mechanics from that standpoint. I think, like you mentioned, the deep ball, him and James Washington had a really nice connection last year at Oklahoma State, just killing teams down the field. And the next defense in the Big 12 that plays defense will be the first defense. So you talked about <laughs> some of those wide-open spaces they throw into. And, and those Oklahoma State games, to me, are boring as hell to watch because I don't want to watch a team gain 12, 14 yards every single play. Well, that's, like a gut, I was going to say, like that's a, one of my biggest <laughs> problems with the concept is that it almost makes watching the game and then trying to take something away from that quarterback pointless. It's kind of like Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. What do you really know about his game translating to the pros? Because a lot of what you're seeing is driven by the scheme that he plays in. It's the scheme preying upon you know, third string, fourth string DBs. In a, at a college level, those guys aren't anything. And so it's very easy to scheme a wide receiver or a tight end open in that, kind of a, in that sense, especially in that conference. Now, of all the potential first-round quarterbacks, Rudolph is the one that, in my opinion, has generated the least amount of buzz. Now, a lot of that has to do with what we're talking about here, the fact that a lot of his statistics, I mean, it's kind of like Baylor. Baylor quarterbacks, Chris and I had an exercise a few years ago where I read him off the statistics of RG3, Andrew Florence, and And Bryce Petty. Bryce Petty, yeah. And tried to make him pick who was who. RG3 had the worst stats out of the three. And yet he was a number two overall pick in the NFL draft because of the scheme. This is what I want to know about Mason I mean, Rudolph quickly. Because it when I because you guys could talk X's and O's around me. I just watch what Tyrod did last year and what he was really not good at. And I want that in a new quarterback. He, Tyrod, very bad at anticipating throws. So I want to know how good is Mason Rudolph at anticipating throws and throwing receivers open? Well, the next time he has to do it will be the first time, like I mentioned, because like, like Drew said, that offense, the way it's predicated on all that misdirection, pre-snap movement, you know, the fact that you have a wider field side, which, uh, Chris, the field side is when you're on one hash mark and it's to the far side of the field, so you have more room to operate with. They can they can add more spacing that way, and like we talked about, you know, playing teams like Kansas and you know, whoever else is in the Big 12 that can't defend anybody else either. It's just there's so much room to operate with because these receivers are running with wide open fields in front of them, and they're 
the spacing concepts they have just create for so many open windows. And he, for my money, I don't think he has anticipated very much. I don't think he has tried to thread tight windows all that much. Their vertical passing attack is the thing you can really hang your hat on with him. But like you said, that was Tyrod's forte as well. Now, this was one of the things that bothered me just in reading different scouting reports and then taking a look at his charts as far as, you know, his spread, his scattered charts as far as where his throws, you know, where his completions came. One of the things that I've seen is that and Bills fans will cringe when they hear this. Didn't really utilize the, the middle of the field a lot. And then, you know, when you really get to, into the scouting reports and you read what other people have written about the guy, the one thing that keeps popping up from pundit to pundit to pundit is that he freezes sometimes when it comes to throwing over the middle of the field and will instead check down rather than challenge linebackers and safeties like that. And we watched firsthand what that can do to an offense with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, I think everybody who's watched the guy can play football can agree. All of the throws down the field, great, wonderful. The throws to the sidelines, great. The, the, the plays in the NFL that really get you the yards after the catch, because safeties and cornerbacks at this level are so good at walling off receivers and cutting guys to the boundary, really do come when someone gets loose over the middle of the field and you can connect in the open field and they can create and get some space. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. So given that, if this is something he struggles with, why should anybody be excited about his ability to read a field or grow into a role as a starter? I think it's one of those things where, and that's why there's so so much disconnect with college scouting and projecting to the pros is because it's not necessarily that he can't do it, but he didn't do it. So that's kind of what you have to figure out is can he become that player? You know, I'm talking about all these safeties and linebackers. I'm looking out for the Dolphins. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what can they do better than what they did in college just in terms of, you know, can this safety cover deep center field or can this linebacker rush the edge? Can he play up on the line of scrimmage and rush the quarterback? With these quarterbacks, though, I mean, it's it's tough because, like you mentioned, I mean, I, had, I watched Luke Falk at the Senior Bowl try to go through – all those practices and all those reps taking snaps from under center and you know he had to get that down on the first day and it takes away from your practice time because you can't do much for the rest of the you know the practice time and you you talked about Jared Goff a little bit (laughs) don't go back and read my comments about him after his rookie year I think I wrote a column saying that Jared Goff is the biggest bust in NFL history (laughs) at one point there so that was a good one but and you know his first year they, they showed him on hard knocks and the guy just looked like he he had it was like the kid on the first day of school that was from a foreign country trying to figure out what the hell he was doing out there. And so with Mason Rudolph in this shotgun offense and, you know, that, that air raid type of offense, it's not that he can't do it. It's just that we haven't seen him do it. So you're growing, you're kind of, your, your growing period is going to be a little bit longer. You're going to have to have more patience to develop him. And I mean, do, do the bills have that? And, you know, you talked about what the bills offense was last year with Tyrod Taylor and your guys' skill possessions, you know, they're not good. They haven't, they're not great. The offensive line certainly hasn't mm-hmm. gotten any better. So does this guy have the time? Is, is he afforded the time to actually develop those skills while he plays in an offense that isn't great? Well, and, and that's going to be the, the, the stumbling block for me in selecting Mason Rudolph. As a value pick, I think if you were to be able to get him somewhere at 22, okay, you landed essentially Patrick Mahomes. Quarterback, air raid offense, big arm. I'm not saying all of you out there probably screaming at your radio or your cell phone or wherever it is you're listening to it. I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes. I'm not. Patrick Mahomes was a pick, what was he, 11th, 10th, wherever the Chiefs traded with us to get to that pick. He's not that. But what I'm saying is air raid offense, probably going to need a year or so to groom and kind of wait behind the scenes, practice with the team. 
get used to NFL concepts like taking snaps from under center, how run-pass options are supposed to work, um, just even just pre-snap reads from under center and how to signal your protections when you're up on the line versus standing back. That's a nuance of the game that most people don't think about, but it's important. Yeah, because we got A.J. McCarron here for two years, and that could be a reason for us to take Mason Rudolph at 22. He can sit for two years. So I guess I guess I could see a case for if you think he's still there at 22 and that's the, the way you want to go, I guess I could see a case for doing that, but, but definitely not any sooner. I guess two questions to close it out. What is your favorite trait about him, and what's your least favorite? I think that his work ethic and kind of the intangibles in terms of how he gets the ball out of his hands quickly after the snap, and that's something you kind of learn from that shotgun, you know, catch, rock, and throw offense that he plays, and that's my favorite part about him. My least favorite part is the mechanics and the throwing because, like you mentioned, he does have a big arm, but the way he doesn't use that lower body, it just it it's so vital to being able to drive the ball to the far hash mark, and I don't think I see him do that enough to where I feel comfortable that he's going to develop it. You know, you mentioned pick 20, was it 22? where he could possibly go. And that that seems like about the range where you can start talking about Mason Rudolph, and that happens with quarterbacks getting pushed up the board. But I'd feel a lot more comfortable taking him in the second round. And then, I, I guess, why should I be excited? Give me one thing that I should be excited about if this quarterback is on the Bills roster in well, 2018. he's good-looking. <laughs> he's got Thank a very good hairline. Have you seen he's, I'm not – hey, and I know a good-looking dude when I see one. <laughs> I bet. Watch him go to New England, and then he's the next Brady. He's wearing Uggs. Spokes, spoke. He's got his own show. Uh, time, I hate you. Time, time versus uh, what is it? Brady versus Time or Mason? Mason versus Time. I could see that. I mean, when the Patriots have a couple of picks, I could see, I could see it happening. Now, you don't uh, like Brian Hoyer? No, Brian Hoyer is Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer is nothing. So next on the list of quarterbacks is probably my favorite. Just from everything that I've heard, my cautiously, you know, if I'm going to be cautiously optimistic about any of these guys, it's the next guy, Josh Rosen, junior quarterback coming out of UCLA. My pros, excellent footwork inside the pocket, great pocket awareness. I mean, I've watched some highlight stuff that he does, high-level escapability but never really leaves the pocket he just runs away from guys and never seems to let his feet get away from him in a sense that he can't just turn and fire the ball he's got experience under center from pro style concepts which is going to be important and his mechanics are clean are clean enough to a point where it just elevates his overall accuracy and would you agree with that Kind of, if you were looking at the upside of this quarterback, can you agree with me on that? Yeah, clean prospect, and from in terms of a seven-on-seven seven type of guy. Okay. Now the cons, and I feel like some of these, almost all of these, fall into the category of you know, intangibles. First and <laughs> foremost, injury history. You know, you've got the the concussions, the shoulder. I mean, the concussions are the scariest of the the injuries. You know, he wore a knee brace for a lot of the time. He um, he played last season. He had a shoulder injury that required surgery on his throwing arm. He's been knocked for his decision making. You know, there's there's some there's some scouts out there who watch the way he plays quarterback, and they say he's too much of a gunslinger, and that he doesn't have the overall arm strength to really challenge the windows that he does, which does result in turnovers. I've watched some of them. You know, I've been watching some of those games, and I've watched him turn the ball over on throws where it's like. 
you thought you could beat it, but you you really shouldn't have done that. Like you might have been better off just 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 chucking it away, you know, eating it and taking the loss on the play, live to fight another day. I mean, and then just one of the outlying things, you know, you see, you see all these little odd statistics. He has a very subpar completion percentage outside of the pocket. That's just from my own reading and research. Would you say that you agree with those? For the most part, yeah. You mentioned the kind of what he is in terms of a polished passer, and and I think that as far as what you want it to look like, Josh Rosen is picturesque in that sense. Like, I mean, the way the ball comes out of his hands, it just looks so smooth. A good tight spiral, really good spin on the football. And I, I mentioned seven on seven earlier. If I'm going to have a seven on seven camp, I'm taking Josh Rosen over almost anybody in the world. He's just so pure as a passer in terms of being that pocket quarterback. Now, the big thing that I you, you talked about it also, obviously. The big thing that I really can't stand is the injury history, and it's it's a concern. He had two concussions last year. He had a shoulder injury that ended his, I think, sophomore season or maybe junior season. I can't remember. Um, so he just the fact that he he hasn't been that reliable. It you know that's that's a lot of medical for a quarterback that has only you know had three or four years of big time competition mm-hmm. under his belt here. So are you worried about spending a super high pick on that guy? And in your guys' case, having to trade way up the draft to go get him. Now, when I just look at his makeup, though. He's been touted as the most scheme-versatile quarterback in the draft because of his above-average abilities to make pre-snap reads. And just his ability to... I mean, the kid played... He was a real talent at tennis, which they, they, they credit with giving him quick feet. And when you watch some of these highlight reel plays, and some of them aren't even great in the sense that, oh, he made this ridiculous touchdown throw or he made a throw for 45 yards. Some of it's just... From the snap, the defense just sent a jailhouse blitz, and he somehow stayed in the pocket, never left, and managed to weave his way through traffic and inevitably throw the ball away. It's like that's that's impressive to me because that's something you're going to deal with at an NFL level. And to know that you can hang in the pocket like that and still be able to get the ball out somewhere, not even just to the right spot, but still be able to keep your head on a swivel enough to get the ball out when you're under that kind of a pressure. I mean, we've seen Tyrod Taylor for the last three seasons. What you saw a lot about a Tyrod Taylor was when pressured, he would roll out, and then he would keep rolling out, keep rolling out, keep rolling out, and eventually run out of bounds for like a three-yard loss. Or take a sack. Take a sack, three-yard loss. It's like throwing the ball away should be natural to a quarterback, and yet he never wanted to do it. And it cost us a lot of yardage and a lot of drives, if I'm being honest. So... Looking at a prospect like this, it's like the, the clouds parted and the sun's shining down on me. I'm like, holy shit, here's a guy who understands an NFL pocket and how, what the value of hanging out in that is. And yet it seems like he has an elite ability to hang out in there. That's got to be worth something, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's a credit to him in terms – like you hear that argument about how – well, he wants to know why things are the way they are. He's not just a yes man that a coach makes an order and he just goes and does it. And, you know, he's he's really – he has different interests outside of football. To me, that's a plus. To me, that's a well-rounded guy that can interact with his teammates and he can kind of relate to people in different ways other than just the football field. And while football has to be the priority, obviously, I think that having a well-rounded kind of just worldly view is a good thing for a young man like that. So I think that's a good thing for him. Now, in terms of what you said about the pocket presence and the way he deals with the pressure, it, it's he's been playing quarterback for so long, and you can tell. It, he's just so natural at that type of stuff. And the way he kind of has those subtle shifts within the pocket and subtle movements within the pocket. And not only that, but he can manipulate defenses under pressure down the field. If you don't, if you understand what I'm saying by that, I'm trying to say, like, 
if you have a, a safety or linebacker that's kind of displaced in zone as the, as the play turns into a bit of a scramble, he can move those guys with his eyes or with arm action while still eluding the rush by doing that. So, he, yeah, he's very, very polished in that area. He's just, he's just to me, the best quarterback in the draft in terms of what he can do with the intangibles and the experience and the wisdom to make things happen on the field. And when you put that together with the big arm, you know, the, the accurate arm, it's just he looks like a very good prospect. But like I said, the injury concerns – you know, it's you, you got to take your, you know, you pick your poison with him, I suppose. Well, and, and here's again, if there's anything he's going to be knocked on, there's two things. First and foremost, his deep ball, I don't know, accuracy and his deep ball power overall been kind of panned. But I've heard the same thing about Tom Brady. So I'm, I don't even care about the rocking arm because I've seen enough of those quarterbacks. JP Lozman and EJ Manuel <laughs> can go to hell. What I'm more concerned about is this statistic. He completed just 42% of his passes when he was forced to leave the pocket. You know, we've, we've talked about how great he is at hanging in the pocket and making accurate throws, even under duress. But at the same time, when he's forced actually to roll out under pressure, 42%, less than 50 I mean, that's, that's a red flag. I think that'll be challenging if, if, if we have a brand new offensive line. A line, Wood's gone, Incognito could be gone. We traded away Cordy Glenn. We got Deion Dawkins coming into his second year. If we drafted him and we have basically a new line and if they can't hold it together and he's got to move out of the pocket, I'm not going to like that. Well, I just look at it not even in terms of the Bills line next year, but I'm looking at going forward. You know, one of the things about Tyrod Taylor that defenses have just keyed on. I mean, I'm thinking back to the very first game a couple years ago in Baltimore against the Ravens. Week one, we're all excited about the rebound this team is supposed to make, and they shut they shut our offense down completely. And then after the game, the one comment we heard was that they kept saying, well, we made Tyrod Taylor stay in the pocket and be a quarterback because we knew that if we kept him in the pocket, his accuracy diminishes. Well, then we heard that same thing week and week after week whenever we'd get drilled by somebody. What if the book on this kid is, hey, all you got to do is move him from his spot, and he's done, he's finished, he can't do anything. Doesn't that concern you as someone who's scouting a quarterback? Yeah, 100% it does. You know, I talked about the weaknesses and the injury concern. I wanted to bring that up next. I just kind of brain-fired there for a second. But his inability to kind of escape the pocket and make plays off script. You know, Like I said, he is the perfect 7-on-7 seven -seven quarterback, picturesque, statue esque type of quarterback within the pocket but when things break down what can he do and so that's why you know we talk all the time about these quarterbacks that should they get replaced are they franchise guys and a lot of the times the reason that that conversation happens is because the surrounding cast isn't good enough to support a quarterback that isn't a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers Drew Brees the three or four guys that are just impossible to find these days so if you're going to have a team that can't support him in the right way and they're going to allow pressure quickly. They can't win off the line of scrimmage quickly. He could struggle. And is he the kind of guy that is going to say, this is where kind of some of the concern about is football his number one thing? Is he going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to really get better at this and find a way to improve myself? Or am I going to say, fuck this and go do something else or go be a politician or go be a <laughs> tennis player, whatever he wants to do? And I, like you said, 42% outside of the pocket is woeful. I mean, you guys know you guys know how much I study Ryan Tannehill, not to bring my Dolphins propaganda, propaganda onto the podcast, but you know how much I study the Tannehill as a quarterback, and his best trait is throwing from outside the pocket. 
And in 2012 and 2013, I've charted those two years so far, he was over 80% on catchable balls. Not completions, but catchable balls. So, Jesus. I mean, that's a big, big discrepancy. And like I, like I said, Tannehill, that's, he's one of the best in the game outside the pocket. And we'll, we'll leave that for another discussion for another day. But Rosen just is, – is he going to be able to mitigate poor circumstances around him? See, and that's why I see – I feel like that's why he keeps being compared to Jay Cutler. All of because he, did, he, did he do it at UCLA? He sure as hell didn't. I mean – well, they weren't a good team. Exactly. They weren't a good football team. He wasn't good enough to lift that bad football team, lift them to being a decent football team. He couldn't get it done. He and put that's on like some, some terrible great... knock. I mean, that's only a few guys can do that, you know? Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. But that's the thing. When you're trading away the kind of draft capital that the Bills right. would have to trade away to acquire that guy, you're hoping you're landing a generational talent, not just 100%. a decent quarterback. Although... We here are, I mean, we're like kicked dogs over here in Buffalo. We would give anything for decent. <laughs> That's how bad it's gotten, is that we would give up a lot of things for decent. Not even world-beating. So, given that... That's why I think that's why I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic about him being one of the better prospects here. Why should I be excited if he's the on the Bills roster in 2018? Just because, like, the first thing I mentioned, just the cleanest pa- the cleanest pocket passer there is in this draft, the best pure passer there is, the ball looks the best coming off of his hand, and with him, there's going to be throws every single game where you're like, damn, that's that's our guy, like, we're good here, and there's going to be plays where you're not feeling that way, but just the fact that I think that, I think that Josh Rosen's floor, honestly, is like a Ryan Tannehill where you can, you know, he'll have bad games, bad stretches of games here and there, but he's still going to be competitive, and he's still going to be a good player, so I think that his floor is probably your... Your best bet. Does he uh, go outside? Does he fall outside the top five? I don't think so. But I also don't think any of the four quarterbacks will at all. I think you guys come up and get the fourth one. Really? Who do you? I I hate mock drafts. There's nothing. I I sent a tweet out that to my friends. You know, Nate Geary and uh, Spencer German and uh, Ryan Lacell from over at Rock Sports Network. I don't think any of those people would consider you a friend. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think they're my friends because I don't know. They invite me to things and then listen to me listen to me berate them. So who knows? Eh, Maybe they do think I'm a giant ass, which is okay because so you are. My family thinks that. I, I, I love going to the Skype time. video so I can see you guys because I can see that thought kind of materializing <laughs> Chris's head and then the kind of grin that he got on his face. <laughs> so uh, but they were talking about a mock draft they did. And my response was the only thing I uh, mock draft that they all collectively did over at rocksportsnetwork.com. And my comment to them was the only thing I hate more than mock drafts are guys who go back and analyze mock pull drafts them up. Yeah. and <laughs> Ebola. The virus Ebola. <laughs> and then I said, I said, you know, after an apples to apples comparison, I'm siding with the disease on this one. All right. That, that's it. It's a wrap. I hate mock drafts. I hate everything about them. I hate the people who think that they mean anything. Having said that, mock drafts are crazy, but there's consistently quarterbacks high in this draft. Do you think that that's what it's going to take to land a quarterback of, you know, of a guy like Josh Rosen. Someone is going to have to trade to number two, to number three, to number four. Someone's going to have to get those, get to that level in order to get there. I just think it's gotten worse every single year. I mean, look at last year, like going from three to two to get Trubisky. I mean, that was unprecedented. <laughs> that was itself. highway robbery. That was highway. <laughs> Someone should have called the police. That's it. Oh, my God. 
And then, I mean, because so you, what they'll do is they'll have these, like, right, they have three or four quarterbacks that have these quote-unquote first-round grades, right? And then you try to space them out at the course of the first round. But what always happens is those teams at the back end of the first round that want those guys, they have to come way up to get them. Look at Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. So I just think the way this draft sets up, the way these team needs are, the way all these teams have these quarterback needs, and the fact that you have four or five guys that could be starters as soon as their rookie year, I think that's going to just magnify that effect. And it's going to cause teams from the 10 to 15 range to have to want to come all the way up into the top five to make it happen. Yeah, that's why we have a Seagram's bet. On the board, I think we're getting to number two, and uh, we if also, we do we, that, you're going to be drinking a Seagram's. Well, Chris, we also have another Seagram's bet that Josh Allen is going to be a top ten pick, and he is the next Book quarterback it. up on the docket for us to discuss. And this is how we're going to close out the conversation with you tonight, Travis, and it's one of the most polarizing prospects in the entire draft. Josh Allen, senior quarterback out of Wyoming. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? I'll give you the pros on this guy. First and foremost, he has a big arm. Okay, He has a monster arm. Did you watch his pro day? Yeah, he's got an arm so big that he can overthrow wide receivers in their shorts with no defense around them anywhere. You do know, he can overthrow those guys. You do, know, Wonderful. you do know that none of those wide receivers were on Wyoming. I don't care. I don't care. You're supposed to be the, the top quarterback taken in the draft. All right, book, mark that down. Drew doesn't believe quarterbacks and wide receivers should have chemistry. He's got a big stature. He's a tall guy. He's athletic. He's, he's, he's got the build of a large quarterback who's mobile. You know, There's a reason he's been compared so much to Carson Wentz from just a year or two ago. They both came from... You know, kind of off conferences, you know, conferences nobody really takes seriously. They're big guys in the pocket. They, they're athletic enough to get out and make plays on their own, but they can also have this giant rocket arm. He seems to have decent field vision, and he has the athleticism to extend plays. And that is literally the last nice thing I have to say about this guy. The cons. Serious accuracy issues. Subpar ball placement. Struggles to throw with anticipation. Turnover prone based on impatience, and I don't like his face. <laughs> what say you, Mr. Wingfield? The face, I'm going to agree with you on that. He looks like a weird combination of like a giant with a 12-year-old's face, so I don't, it's kind of weird with you. <laughs> I probably shouldn't be saying this stuff on a podcast and putting myself out there like that, but... Hilarious! I, yeah, well, I, he I does, well, he does have a chin. Let's, <laughs> let's point that out. Should I throw in my joke here where I can borrow one of your guys's? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, you chinless son of a bitch. All right. So, I, just, just I didn't even answer the question. <laughs> you answer the question, and then I've got something for you that I want you to answer for. Okay. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, 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 no. I want to hear it. Well, what, what, what's your, you know, if you had to make a pros and cons list of this quarterback, considering the fact that you off air told me that he is your favorite. You go ahead and lay out the pros and cons for me, quarterback guru. Besides Baker, just to make that clear. All right. Baker than Josh. Okay, so basically, I've kind of made my philosophy known, even on this podcast I said earlier, that I like to draft guys for what they could possibly be because I think you swing for the fences and try to hit home runs. I think that singles, you know, those are first rounds two and three and four, and you try to get guys on base in those rounds of the draft. But in the first round, you hit home runs, you draft star players, you get guys that can alter the skyline of your city, so to speak, the way Peyton Manning did in Indianapolis getting Lucas Oil Stadium built. Now, Josh Allen, of all these guys, has by far 
the best potential to be a skyline alter, so to speak. And you mentioned the traits that he has that causes me to think that the big arm, just the way he can extend plays and throw from awkward platforms, it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. And you're going to hear scouts tell you that too. The ball he threw at the, at the scouting combine, everyone's like, Mike, you got to be kidding me. The ball, that, that just never came down. And when it did, it was like 80 yards down. Like just the insane physical traits. Now you mentioned some of the weaknesses that he has. And we'll get into those. But I just, from a trait standpoint, I mean, he's a big ball of clay that has that needs Picasso to come mold him. If he was a sculptor, I think he was a painter. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. But <laughs> he, he is he is exactly what you want if you're trying to mold the guy in terms of what he has physically. So my overview of the player, according to Inside the Pylons Draft Guide, Josh Allen's collegiate stats for completion percentage and adjusted yards per attempt, taking sacks and everything else into, into account, put him in a group of players drafted since 2000 in the first round that have some names that people are going to recognize for all of the wrong reasons. Let me read them off to you. Joey Harrington, Jake Locker, Kyle Bowler, the famous one, the one that Brian Billick has talked about, Patrick Ramsey, and our very own J.P. Losman. If that doesn't make you want to vomit, then I don't know what does. What are those quarterbacks' distinctions? What's that for? This is when you compare collegiate stats, it's oh. matching complete completion percentage and adjusted yards per attempt. And okay. then seeing what other quarterbacks, if you were to take it back to 2000 and aggregate the same statistics against one another, these are the quarterbacks that he's coming out of college being most compared to at a pro level. From completion percentage versus adjusted yards per attempt. I've been quoted as saying that if the Bills draft Josh Allen... I would grab a beer for each hand and launch myself backwards down the nearest flight of stairs. And then get up and have a Seagram's because he was taking top 10. What can you tell me about this player that might change my mind? Oh, man. You know what the worst part about it is? That's exactly where I have him going, too. So, I, you know, RIP. <laughs> oh, no. Let me know when your funeral is. But uh, so basically, you know, it all comes back to my first point about what do you like? What do you look for in a player? Is it production or is it potential? And you can look at the stats all day long. And my counterpoint to one of your stats, I've used this a few times now, is that when Josh Allen missed the San Jose State game, San Jose State was a 2-11 and football team. They beat Wyoming and they beat Cal Poly. They beat Wyoming without Josh Allen. And in those 11 losses, they were outscored like 500 points to 100. So without Josh Allen, Wyoming was the equivalent of a high school eight-man football team, essentially. And <laughs> That's like North back, Collins. I, I'm going to come across this table. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, but you go back to his 2016 season, and what got everyone all juiced up for his, you know, his next season at Wyoming was just kind of some of the stuff that he did in terms of playing with a group of players that were – just adequate enough to compete at that level. And you go back and you look at, you know, you mentioned the completion percentages. Carson Wentz had a low one. Matt Ryan had a low one his final season. I think that stats have to have a little bit of context to them, especially when you go to college and it's such a small sample size. There's a lot of volatility that can happen there. And, you know, I watched a lot of Wyoming games this year. I actually took Wyoming plus 11 in the opener against Iowa thinking, oh, I got Josh Allen. I'll be good. And they dropped like seven passes in that game. And just could not do a single thing on offense outside of what he was doing, breaking the pocket, making guys miss like Ben Roethlisberger does, but with speed and then throwing across his body and and putting the ball right on face masks. Now, like you mentioned, he has plenty of weaknesses you're going to have to cover up and work on. But just from what I've seen physically, as impressive as he is in that regard, 
I think that if you just get a good coaching staff around him, give him some time to grow and learn and just stick with him, you could eventually get a very good player. I want to preface this. If the Bills were to take Josh Allen at 12, I guess I th- I mean I'd still be upset. There would there I'm going to be in Jamaica for the first round of the draft. Well, actually for the entirety of draft weekend, but I'll be in Jamaica at a bar watching this. And if the first pick is, hey, the Bills waited at 12, we didn't trade up, and Josh Allen fell to us, I don't think I'd riot. I, I would, because th- then I, I would I have to have think, a Seagram's. I don't think I'd destroy <laughs> any property. I think I would just drink a ton and then find my way to bed. Having said that, my point is I don't think that it's feasible for the Bills to trade the amount of capital it would get, it would take to get into the top 10 to take a quarterback who needs this much work? Now, here's the question. Despite being constantly mocked and linked to the Buffalo Bills by the national media, the team hasn't met with the kid. This despite meeting four times already with Baker Mayfield. They're flying to L.A. This, uh, later this week to see Darnold, and they host, they, they host uh, Mason Rudolph and Josh Rosen yesterday. So what is it that you think is driving the narrative that the Bills are going to take Josh Allen? That's actually a really good question because I don't even try to pretend to know what these meetings mean because, I, you know, who, I, if you can figure it out, please let me know. But that's a good point because if they haven't met with him, you know, that's a quarterback is someone that you might actually want to, you know, make sure that you're getting to know what he's all about and put him on the blackboard and all that stuff. And so what's driving the narrative? I would assume possibly the fact that he played in a place like, you know, where, where, where is it Laramie Wyoming compared to what Buffalo is and in the inclement weather but I've always found that to be kind of a really shoddy analysis like a really weak analysis that you Jeremy just based Howard on where you played weather thing or he retweeted someone today who did the math and figured out that every quarterback in the NFL plays at least one game in the inclement right. weather but no quarterback no one's played a game I mean the snow game this year was one of the worst games that any quarterback in in recent franchise history, has played in. And that only happens once every couple years. So this idea that, well, he's got to have a rocket arm because he's going to be playing on the side of a mountain in a snowstorm like a Viking, that's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. So people need to get away from this. I take accuracy over power all all day long and twice on Sunday because I've seen enough rocket-armed quarterbacks. J.P. Lozman had a strong arm. E.J. Manuel had a strong arm. Kyle Bowler had a strong arm, which he draws so Allen draws so many comparisons to. I, I've just seen these quarterbacks fail. I've watched them fail. Accuracy has been the thing. No one said Drew Brees ever had the strongest arm. I mean, yes, he did have the luxury of going to a dome football team when his career really took off. But he still has to play outdoor games, and they've won a lot of those. So the fact is he's... He's a guy who can complete passes, and that's what gets the job done, is being able to read the field, make passes when you need to make them, and this guy just doesn't seem like he can do that. So i got to ask you, why should I be excited if this is a quarterback on the Bills roster in 2018? So I'll just basically put it this way. You know, We talked about the fact that he's not all the way there from the mental aspect of the game, but physically just so impressive, the big arm. When it's right, it's, it could not look better, and you just hope that you can get it right more often. And that has to do with repetitiveness, with getting the mechanics straight. And you know, it's people say like you know, Jamarcus Russell had the physical traits, and I get that Jamarcus Russell had all those physical traits, but Josh Allen to me doesn't seem like the kind of guy 
that has a hard time just reading the back of a cereal box. Like he is intelligent enough to where he can figure that type of stuff out. Whereas Russell, you know, <laughs> we can say a little bit less about him in that regard. But <laughs> I just think that, you know, so I saw a tweet the other day by Dan or- Orlovsky where he talked about his inability to process information and, and identify blitzes and go to the hot read that he's supposed to find. And he didn't do it. He takes a sack and just doesn't look good. But I, I think that you have a guy that's willing to put in the work and you just kind of, you're going to have to figure out what he is, you know, what the mental makeup is there because that is more important than anything else these guys do. And they can all spin it. They can all throw it well and they can all play football, but are they going to be able to do it mentally and process things when the game, you know, when the big lights come on? Now I will say this before we let you go, I've got to ask a question because it's a storyline that's out there. The Miami Dolphins. I know that we generally bar you from speaking about those fruits wearing teal because you know, (laughs) real men don't put teal on voluntarily. Um, in terms of the Dolphins, there has been a lot of chatter about how much Gase loves, loves Baker Mayfield. Considering that you guys are right on that fringe group of teams that are kind of eh, hanging outside, not, not in the top five, but not outside the top ten. What's your feeling? I mean, is this something that you think could really happen? Do you think there's that, also a Seagrams on this too? Do you think that they could, you know, they could, in theory, even with Ryan Tannehill still under contract, draft a quarterback like Baker Mayfield in the first round? I think if he made it to eleven, they would definitely consider it. Depending what else is on the board, I think that there's absolutely validity that Adam Gaze does love Baker Mayfield. They have a very similar temperament. You know, he's a hell of a player. But I do think that they are excited about getting Ryan Tannehill back. I just don't think they're going to trade up to make it happen because of what it's going to cost because of teams like Buffalo, because of teams like Arizona that might come up. So I just I don't see any way that they trade up to get him because they still have some some holes they're going to have to fill in the draft, and they, they need these draft picks this year. But if he falls, I could see it happening. Well, hopefully he won't start week one because that's your Seagram's bet with us. Put a Seagram's on it that Tannehill's going to start week one. For the Dolphins. So there's going to be nothing more that I would like to see than Mayfield get drafted to Miami and he starts week one. So you have to have a Seagram's. Seagram's barring doesn't injury. even understand. You just got to make sure we know that. Yeah. Seagram's barring doesn't injury. even understand. Like they do, I guess, because they've started following us on Twitter. and t- That's awesome. They don't. I think they're beginning to understand what an integral part of our show that they actually are. Yeah. And why their but sales the have reasons. spiked. Their sales have spiked in the, in, in the Western New York region. <laughs> and and also in Seattle, uh, considering that uh, or the Washington area, considering Eric Harris lost the bet about the Bills making the playoffs, and then sent us videos of him chugging every single Seagrams that he bet. It was incredible. And in my head, I go, I don't know if anybody in that region of the country even buys Seagrams now. <laughs> like aside from this guy, one time. Travis, well, I'll have to find him if that's the case because that's you know, that's where I hail from. Yeah, Travis will have to find it. If uh, somebody other than Ryan Tannehill starts week one outside of injury for the Dolphins. Travis, you know we love it. It's all in good fun. You chinless bastard. We love you. Yep. <laughs> Where can we find you on Twitter and what do you got going on on Locked on Dolphins? Have you guys seen the Twitter thing going on right now? The uh, Dolphins bracket challenge? Oh, no. yeah. I've been voting for you. Don't worry. My man. My man. So I'm currently in the lead in the championship round of the best Dolphins Twitter follow. And that's at Wingfield NFL. So I sh- it looks like I'm going to bring that one home for myself tonight. But, you, yeah, follow me there, at Wingfield NFL, LockedOnDolphins.com, the podcast, every single day, five days a week. And then also the LockedOnDolphins.com, write an article 
about four or five times a week there too. So plenty of content for you guys out there. At Wingfield NFL on Twitter, uh, he's ahead in that poll he was talking about, about being the best follow on Twitter. I thought that that poll would have gone in a landslide to Omar Kelly. (laughs) Who he lost. Omar Kelly went after him on Twitter. And somehow Travis gained, what, how many more followers? He gained like 1,500 followers. <laughs> because they were like, oh, shit, you don't like this guy? Well, none of us like him either. Well, yeah, because Wingfield does work, and Omar Kelly just uh, makes other people feel bad. Remember the whole thing with Sal? Yeah. Cavaccio? Sal's like, I'll take you out around Buffalo. I'll show you that it's not a shithole, because it isn't. We're coming back in a huge way. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, you can find us at, at Rockpile Report on Twitter. And also, if you guys are looking for it, you want some dra- any of you out there who are listening to the show who, who are interested in draft material, whether it's because you scout, whether it's because you write for your own podcasts or your own blogs or whatever it may be, I'm telling you, inside the Pylons NFL Draft Guide 2018, it's out. Detailed analysis from 50 of the best in the business. Historical draft and GM data compiled and compared against the current trends. Well laid out rankings and explanations of those rankings. And some of the most in-depth player dissection and review that I've seen in my lifetime. Including a great piece that I used for my draft prep tonight from ITP's Jeff Fire on Josh Allen. Until April 30th, you can get it $5 off when you click on the link in tonight's write-up and buy the draft guide using the promo code ROCKPILE5. Guys, next week we're going to have Mark Schofield and Nate Geary on to talk about the rest of the quarterbacks, the top quarterbacks of the draft class. Darnold, Jackson, and Mayfield. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you stop by. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile.